you know, the world is, we're not going to emerge from this the same. The way in which we're working and learning has changed. Educational institutions and workplaces are all going remote. In just a matter of months, this all turned on its head. We have no answers yet. Welcome to the Speaks Exchange podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two. Challenges facing HR and L&D managers are constantly changing, but we can all agree that there has been no catalyst more powerful than the recent and still ongoing pandemic. Due to global circumstances, we've all had to make rapid transitions. For HR and L&D managers, this meant really finally going from face-to-face to digital learning and switching up the way that we do things technologically, emotionally, and beyond to support people working and learning from home. This Speaks Exchange podcast episode is a little bit different from our other episodes in that you'll be hearing our host, Donald Taylor, speaking with Speaks instead. For those of you who don't recognize my voice from the intro, my name is Sarah Sullivan and I'm the head of digital content and communications here at Speaks. Listen in as Don and I discuss what we've observed in the field of L&D since life changed dramatically at the start of this year, challenges for corporate L&D in the new age of learning from home, and what we think the new normal will look like. Let's jump straight in with the theme for today. Mm -hmm. This business of the challenge for corporate learning and development in the age of learning from home. I do my global sentiment survey every year, and that comes out in February time. I get the results out and and it, it, it asks one question, but of course that came out before COVID-19 struck. Tell me about the research that you put out very recently, and I gave a certain amount of input into it. What was the aim behind it and what were you asking people? Absolutely. So before I get into that, it might be helpful to give a bit of interesting background context here. This year, we we had released survey results from our annual Speaks Exchange survey. This was before all of the stay-at-home mandates were really in effect globally. So we had asked HR and L&D experts from around the world, international HR and L&D experts, what the greatest challenge was, in their opinion, for HR and L&D in 2020. And they had all said that the greatest challenges, in their opinions, were finding and retaining the best talent, mm-hmm. soon followed by leveraging learning everywhere, and then after that, close on its heels, aligning training and development with business needs. So this was what people, HR and L&D experts, felt in February. Now, things obviously changed (laughs) starting about end of February, March. That's when I think it was Italy, then Spain, then France, Germany, U.S., and all over the globe. I mean, China China went, I apologize, China was was first. Um, Lockdowns went as, as early as early February. But... Once that happened, Donald, as you'll recall, we got together and did our own survey, uh, Speaks Plus Donald Taylor, remote learning survey, and we asked these same types of people, what will the biggest challenges for corporate L&D be in this new age of, of learning from home? And 
this changed a lot in just a month. Suddenly the biggest challenge was participant engagement. And then after that, it was make tech work for all. And then it was adopt face-to-face -face curricula to digital. So bear in mind that at first, in just a month before that, people were concerned about finding and retaining talent. And then a month later, HR and L&D managers were most worried about participant engagement. And so I am led to believe that because of everything that had happened in the span of just two, three weeks, all of a sudden it was less about where are we going to find a good employee? How do we keep this employee happy? And more, how do we keep people engaged with learning? How do we also ensure that they have the right technology and software and tools and infrastructure at home to be able to continue the learning, et cetera? And of course, adopt face-to-face -face curricula to digital should be extremely obvious. That's always been a challenge the last, I'd say, 10 or so years, according to HR and L&D managers. But surely, certainly now you have hundreds of universities, including Harvard, Yale, all of them around the globe, where everyone's going to have to be learning from home, finishing studies from home. So it, that's, that's a quite obvious answer, how to make face-to-face -face <laughs> learning now applicable over the computer. And it's not just like finishing it off, but the new semester is due to be starting in September exactly. or October. A lot of people are saying, well, I'd, I'd rather not go. I'd rather wait it out. And people who are going are probably going to have to be starting online. A bunch of universities in the States, I believe, have said we can't take the risk. We don't know what's going to be happening. We have to plan now. Uh, now being uh, May, June time, it's mm -hmm. going to be uh, an online curriculum. Pretty right. extraordinary stuff. So we've seen this perhaps predictable shift, but nonetheless, yes. I think it's a unique data point you've got here of yes. an obsession with talent to yes. concerns about engagement. Yeah, and Donald, I was actually yeah. curious, uh, sorry to interject, but you also have your annual global sentiment survey sure. and your results are released around the same time as our usual Speaks Exchange survey. I'm curious about what your thoughts were too. I believe that the main takeaway, well, first I'll let you, I'll let you talk about the question and I'm curious what your, your thoughts were. So the question is always, what will be hot this year in right. learning and development, in workplace learning and development? And I give people a choice of 15 options plus other, and they can choose, they choose three options from that. The result this year was different because this year for the first time we had not personalization or collaborative learning at the top, which had been the top Top for the past four years, I'm correct in saying this year, number one was learning analytics. So that's I, now I don't give people the choice about talent. So that wasn't on the list. So learning analytics mm -hmm. was number one, but actually the top five options were all more or less concerned with data. The only one of the, of the five that wouldn't necessarily put a data hat on would be collaborative and social learning, which you can certainly do without data. But nonetheless, if you have data, it can be incredibly effective. So for me, that showed a big shift in what we do in learning and development away from a focus on content, which is traditionally what we've always done. We create and we distribute content towards something new, which is, well, how do we make sure we're doing stuff effectively? We've got data to help us be, be more effective about what we're doing. Of course, it doesn't mean necessarily that we're doing the right things. You can still mm -hmm. be very effective about doing something very inefficient. So you also want to be able to do the right things as well. That's a separate question, engaging with the business, understanding what it means. None of this has anything to do with people's concerns right now, as you say, around engagement and keeping people, well, getting a 
content online and making sure that people are not just that they are engaged, but also that there are no barriers to the implementation of it so they can get to right. it. There's a lot of very practical things people are concerned about, not just right now, which is in the first half of uh, 2020, but increasingly they're going to be concerned about it going into the future, I think, because this is not, I think, going to go away rapidly. Yes, things are changing. We're coming out of lockdown right now, but we're not going to be going back to the January, February world that we were in Mm-mm. this year. There will always now be a strong demand for a digital component to what we do. Okay, how do we do it? I'm reminded, I'm reminded, Sarah, of mm-hmm. um, Kemal Ataturk, the mm-hmm. leader of the Turkish Republic, who in 1928 wanted to shift the Turkish alphabet from the Arabic script, which it had been written into up to that point, over to the Latin script, which Europe used. He wanted a, a Europe-facing Turkey. He asked a commission how long it would take. They said it would take five years to do it. He said, you've got three months. Incredibly enough, of course, given the time scale of three months, they were able to transform everything and change an entire system of writing from one alphabet to another. And that's what's happened more or less with us in learning and development. Having said, it will take a long time, we'll need months, years to plan and adapt what we do to do it online. People are doing extraordinary things right now getting it online. Having got it online and having shown that it can work, there's no automatic route back to doing everything in the classroom. So I think we're in a, a very different position now. I have to say, of course, the stuff online is not all good and it's not all working very well. The questions around engagement and the technical issues are still. So sorry, you asked me to talk about my global sentiment survey and here I am pretending it's uh, I'm the guest on the podcast. <laughs> no, no. It's interesting to see how how sentiments have changed and what people have responded, you know, in the beginning of 2020 versus a couple months into it. So it's certainly not the same responses. Not the same response at all, except, of course, that personalization has always been strong. Personalization has always been an issue. This is true. That, and that remains an issue that people are concerned about at the moment. In your survey, what results did you get? What other results did you get that you would really like to look at as being indicative of sure. how you people are right now? Well, engagement, as we said, is is always, and personalization have always been uh, challenges, and that remains. I think it's interesting to point out that even before the pandemic descended upon us, our survey, which we started as early as December of, of 2019, we had asked these same HR and L&D managers what they thought was hampering the implementation of digital learning. And they had said low user adoption, followed by lack of integration, and and then, yeah, multiple platforms and standards, technical problems, et cetera, those, those followed as well. And so even back then, you know, we were seeing their frustration with this. And I think now that we all have to be learning from home, there's no choice. Everyone has to stay put indoors and wait for this to pass. It's even more crucial that there's low user adoption is just not acceptable anymore. Everyone has to adopt. So we've accelerated this <laughs> full stop. Lack of integration. Certainly there's a difference in my opinion between adoption and also integration people can be excited about something and be willing to participate in something but if there's not the technical infrastructure behind it and a seamless integration between a platform and LMS learning content etc then the whole thing's going to be a disaster everyone's going to lose out people will lose their engagement they'll stop adopting etc and I think that couples well with the thing I mentioned about multiple standards and platforms it's mm-hmm. evidence that this needs to be to some extent standardized or at least universally understood or things have to just, once again, back to integration, work together more seamlessly because there's just no room for technical issues anymore. Learning from home is not anymore a luxury. It's a necessity. It's all we have. So I think that that's interesting that people were complaining about that. And now it's, it's not a complaint. It's a, it's a real 
problem that has to be addressed immediately. Another question we had asked that I thought was interesting to to call out is what's held people back? What's held mm. corporations, companies back during their learning transformation? And they said lack of resources or L&D isn't prioritized enough in the company or companies are slow to adopt and embrace new technologies. And once again, it, we look back at this and I, I kind of think, huh, well... Just you wait. I think I think um, we can assume we can assume, can't we, that slow to adopt embrace new technologies. That's yeah, that's that's gone, right? I mean, we just Indeed. had to adopt it. That's that's happened. We had to adopt it in just a matter of months. This all turned on its head. Absolutely, very quickly, uh, transformed people's expectations on the learning and development side and on the management side. Hey, we have to do this. Of course, on the user side, maybe expectations mm-hmm. weren't transformed. Maybe people felt they wanted to get something which they. They had experienced elsewhere, and people's expectations coming in might be set by a number of things, what they've seen at work, the consumer tools they use, Google, whatever, and they might expect learning to be a bit like that. It's often said that you only have one chance to make a good first impression, and do you think that some employee might not be satisfied with what they see first time round? when they're given an e-learning resource the first time. Maybe it's something that somebody's put together very quickly. And as a result of that dissatisfaction, they don't want to come back. Is that a problem, do you think? Yes, I do think that's the case. You have only one chance to make a good first impression, certainly in a lot of cases, this being one of them. So if the user experience is not nice, if it's difficult to, to pull up one's lesson, I think that that's, that's a big turnoff for a lot of people. We're all used to software working a certain way, to having a nice user interface, to seamless integrations and, and fast speed. And that if, if learning isn't catching up with that or following suit, then people will just drop off. They won't be interested anymore. So I think that that's why learning is something that uh, organizations really do need to prioritize, especially now as, as it's all that we have learning from home. I also think that as part of getting this right, this first impression, a lot of it is also how do you keep it connected and human and social, if that makes sense. So it does make sense. Yeah, we've had employees at Speaks at the beginning of the lockdown expressing concern that they were afraid of being home all the time. You know, a lot of people might live alone or might, in my case, live far away from home or what they know to be home. So it's, I think, important also for L&D and HR managers to not only get the technology, the infrastructure, the structure right, but also how to socialize learning, which is a topic that we explore a lot in our day-to-day work, Donald. I know you do too, but yeah, how to provide some interaction so that, you know, we, we know that people sometimes have more of an intrinsic motivation rather when things are a bit more social, when they feel more connected. Sometimes a bit of healthy competition doesn't hurt either Mm -hmm. when you're aware of how much progress others are making. So I think that's also really crucial here. I mean, to use the university example, as we talked about students having to begin semesters and semesters from home, they're going to miss out on things like group work, on things like Socratic discussion. And I think that that's also really necessary. Otherwise, it's going to feel like one person's just slogging away at home learning. And and that is, I think, demoralizing and discouraging. And certainly for me, I would be less less inclined to, to get online and, and do my lessons. So I guess it does depend on how things are implemented. It is possible to have um, discussion and so on as part of online learning, but that demands a different approach to it. You can't go into it thinking learning is about mm-hmm. being presented with a clump of information. And it's not. Right. 
Learning is a whole not. bunch of different things. You need, yes. you need information, you need to experience it. And it is yes. very healthy and positive. If you've got a group that you're working, you're working on that with, they provide mm-hmm. both the discussion you're talking about, but also a sort of benchmark. Oh, I, I didn't get that and I should have got that. I'm going to work a bit more focused on that bit in the future to make sure I, I, I understand whatever right. it is. So that the, the role of the group, it's complex, but it is very useful. And there are some people who could be autodidacts and learn entirely by themselves, but most people mm-hmm. benefit tremendously from other, uh, having other people involved. And this comes back to this engagement right. piece. And I'm thinking about 2001 when the towers came down, 9-11, and we had mm-hmm. uh, suddenly there was no air transport in the US. People weren't flying to go to courses. E-learning had a big uptake. And what was the response? The response was, oh, I've got a PowerPoint deck. I'll put that online with a click next button on it. And that's a course. And of course, it's anything but a course. It's the most basic level of providing information, but it's not learning. Mm-hmm. And it's not a mechanism even for learning, except for the most motivated individual. So, right. and of course, what then happened was e-learning got a really bad name because people said, mm-hmm. yeah, it's that thing which is really rubbish and I don't like it we have to make sure that doesn't happen now I'm not the last thing I'm saying is everyone needs to go out and produce beautiful perfect solutions that will never happen but I think what's important for the engagement piece is not so much the solution itself but the story you tell around it hey we can't do this in the classroom anymore we're doing it this way we're going to keep evolving it work with us we look forward to your feedback and and let's grow it now presumably it speaks you've got a history you've got a track record of of implementing solutions in people's organizations is there anything you any tips you've got from anybody trying to implement some learning technology now that would help them do a a better job of setting the scene before you try to roll something out? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways. I think that it starts, of course, with cultural behavioral shift to begin with, and it has to come from the top down and it has to feel to all the employees as though there are, as though it's it's really supported by and believed in by top management. I think it's it's in addition to the technology, which is of course a big part of it and accepting that we have to really invest in the top technology and being willing to be agile and testing out other potentially new technologies and you know being willing to fail and knowing that one solution might not work. I think it's staying open and, and as we said, having a, an ongoing discussion with employees so that they can provide feedback on what's working for them, what's not. But as as I said, I think it's more of a cultural behavioral shift and make it known throughout an organization, one that's rolling out a new learning platform or a new system, that this is a really important initiative to, to describe it as a journey. So, yeah. you know, this is not going to happen overnight. The way digital transformation yeah, yeah. is, in my opinion, not a one-time event, but rather a, a ongoing event and sometimes it might happen faster than others right now it's clearly accelerated all over the world but bridging back to what i said earlier about socializing learning i think it's important to note that it's a community initiative and you said yes there are autodidacts in the world but most of us are not so whatever that is that works for that organization whether it's setting up daily or weekly check-ins whether it's allowing people to facilitate that for themselves or setting up programmatic structured meetings online. I think maybe a couple of them need to be mandatory, but otherwise things should be informal or relaxed. We know that micro learning, things that are bite-sized work well in learning. And I think community initiatives like this also work really well and can be interactive and not so intimidating or overwhelming to people. But we have found that within Speaks too, having just these informal 
formal coffee breaks. Of course, yeah. everyone making their own coffee really helps. And <laughs> the way that one, as a marketing person, I'm going to use the word brand something or talks about something can also change the mindset. So we're talking about everyone coming together, having a quick coffee break, talking about some new features we're rolling out, talking about some new messaging that perhaps might get a bigger quorum, uh, um, critical mass versus a mandatory webinar where everyone's going to have to learn X, Y, Z, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think, yeah. again, it goes back to a bit of a cultural shift. And I don't think that's too difficult right now with these companies because people are looking for that, for that community and for that connection because everyone's home and everyone's feeling a bit disconnected. And especially at the beginning, there's a lot of anxiety. So to meet and talk about things and feel a bit normal has has worked quite well within and also externally with with our customers and partners i take what you're saying there is an opportunity here to make a change in the technology used in organizations absolutely there must also be stumbling blocks as well and we look at the the, the survey talking about people being concerned about engagement it's not difficult to get the technology out in fact we can't do anything else we have to get the technology out there mm -hmm. but coming back to this point you mentioned right at the beginning about engagement what is it that people can do to make sure that the employees that they're working with the participants in these programs are as far as possible engaged and enthusiastic about what they're doing when they may be facing tiring in difficult circumstances at work and at home because they're perhaps trying to juggle things. So how do we make sure that we've got the engagement when it could be that this program is something on top of a lot of other things going on in their lives? What do you think? Mm -hmm. It's a tough question. And I think it also varies greatly between organizations and cultures, sure. Sure. not just global cultures, but the culture Organizational of the organization. Cultures. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're an international organization. So we've always relied on online communication and right. we use specific tools. So we use things like Teams, Outlook, Yammer, and other, other companies might use other things. But it forced us to, first of all, take a critical closer look at what technology we use. So I think as far as engagement, one has to first say, do we, are we set up for success with the way that we communicate? Because as we said earlier in this podcast interview conversation, if, if people aren't liking the interface, if it's not easy, if it's not intuitive, they're just not going to use it. I wouldn't. So are we set up for success? For example, we have an office in China. That's in a unique situation with the Great Firewall. So for those who are less familiar, censorship protocols that ban many social media chat providers. So when we work with colleagues in China, we can run into network technology problems when we're using some of these international communication platforms. So we'll have to change, you know, we'll have to use WeChat, we'll have to use other ways yeah. to communicate. So I think the first step for engagement is, is everyone using the right tools? That's, we, you need to be prepared to adopt new tools and habits to ensure strong communication, strong engagement, and to, to pre prepare the workforce to do the same. I think a lot of it is also expressing humanity and connecting to each other back to the, you know, initiatives I talked about earlier, but learning from home, working from home, super luxurious for a while, but uh, obviously <laughs> it can also provide isolation and sometimes lack of momentum and therefore lack of motivation. So I think that that's where it goes back to maintain as much communication as possible. It sounds so trite and I know it's all over every webinar and blog post, but I do believe it's important to turn on cameras as much as possible because you're going to be engaged if you know that you're being looked at. And it, it, it helps to see uh, 
a coach talking you through some new grammar principles. It also helps if you see your students nodding enthusiastically back, your users actually absorbing and taking notes, and that assures you there's someone on the other end, end of the line. So I think that keeps people engaged. It's scientifically proven that seeing faces on a screen, screen can actually calm people. Yeah, being inclusive too. I think this is a bit more on the working side, but can apply to learning. So very important to keep people informed. We might think we're keeping one another informed, but we're, we're just not. Uh, we have to go an extra step because everything we're reading, we're receiving online via most likely messages. And there's things that are going to be missed just without question. You forget how, or at least I forget how valuable those coffee conversations are in the kitchen, the water cooler talk literally. And so it's necessary to maintain those conversations and, and be sure that one is over communicating when we're all separate from each other. And then basically just really stepping up and trying to motivate people in whatever way. Everyone has different reasons for motivation to keep their skills sharp. So perhaps you have someone you know, uh, a group of people at the company you know who are really competitive and then keeping them engaged by making it a bit of a healthy internal competition with some kind of dashboard. For others, uh, you might know that they, uh, I don't know, love to travel or something like that and perhaps talking to them about how they might sharpen their specific mm, skills mm. in this way so that they could, for example, use a language in, in a specific place that they want to visit, etc. So I think that it's just a matter of catering to to what we know to be people's driving forces behind their their motivation. So but it, it's certainly a challenge. I think it's certainly a challenge that we're all we're grappling with now. But I, I think your point about having these putting the foundations in place so we're set up for success is absolutely right. The foundations of the again the technology right building the habits and and also, I like your point about humanity, the need to still make sure we're connecting with each other one way or the other. Talking about humanity and people, do you want to talk about soft skills development and why you think that's important in the future for developing people generally, but also for developing future leadership? Soft skills. I am asked quite often, actually, probably you are too, Donald, in the field of HR and L&D, are we concerned about automation, AI taking jobs? And in language learning, learning too, you can have a computer check people's grammar, right? Even understand people's pronunciation. And, and that can take, in theory, the role of, of a human's job. But in my opinion, especially in the field at which I work, I think that it's we're still very far off from a computer really taking that from humans. And what I mean is with regard to the soft skills. So yeah. it's one thing to be able to have Google Translate German to English, for example, but no computer robot machine, to my knowledge right now, fully understands text and nuance and humanity and empathy in the way yeah. that would most accurately do that translation. And um, I have to say, Sarah, I've, I've, I speak a bit of Turkish and I'm, I sometimes mm. use Google Translate to check something I'm reading and mm -hmm. I, I'm amazed at how bad it is not because it doesn't necessarily get the language but because it doesn't understand what the language actually means in two right. ways firstly because the language may have more than one meaning 
and often does. Mm -hmm. But secondly, because the nuances of the communication, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it's just Turkish, but people tend to not necessarily say exactly what they mean. And mm -hmm. so you'll get a very literal translation of something that may be idiomatic and may be referring to something else, which makes absolutely no sense at all in English, let alone being a good translation of what it was meant to say in Turkish. Now, of course, things will get better, but there is a lot of nuance in that. So I'm with you that right now, certainly, relying on natural language processing to translate for us isn't going to cut it for a lot of languages. And not only that, but due to these global circumstances, we've all, okay, we've all become very video savvy. Even my parents, who are, are not technical people, they, they are using Zoom, and I'm very impressed. So this, this bodes well for digital transformation, but I think that there's still a lot of potential when it comes to writing. In any language, we all could be writing better. So text, though, yeah. unlike video, doesn't allow us to see facial expressions or hear voice pitches and volumes, which provide really helpful communication and social cues, right? And it's really imperative, and, and now more than ever in 2020, that our writing communication skills are improved. So uh, whether that's a, an email to someone else, um, because, you know, something as an American that I write might have a completely different meaning to you, even that we both speak English because you are from the UK. So it's, it's more so than ever critical to leave little room, little to no room for um, misinterpretation. And that's, that's a soft skill uh, that's a computer is in my opinion, very far away from, from nailing. So I think also Josh Burson earlier this year released a report saying that the top skill CEOs, even before this pandemic, were looking yeah. for were innovation, creativity, yeah. time management, resilience, communication, things that now more than ever, we really need to nail. The communication part, as I just discussed, but also innovation. Uh, how do we do our jobs, learn our things while we're all working from home? Who's going to create something that makes this all easier? Um, resilience, obviously, like we need resilience on a human and emotional level in, in addition to, to work and education right now. These are things that computers don't have. So yeah, once again, evident that soft skills, even before this pandemic, but underlined now are key to missing to meeting business needs and to to meeting learning needs and that's not to say of course that stem digital technical skills aren't important but mm -hmm. they are right. they are fundamental building blocks for business right but but to highlight what I think the difference is we refer to soft skills the interpersonal mm -hmm. skills and the, the individual skills we have right I call them multiplier skills now, a technical mm -hmm. skill, okay. maybe you can do something or you can't do it. That's you individually. But I call soft skills multiplier mm -hmm. skills because when you have a soft skill, maybe it's resilience, maybe it's mm -hmm. communication, what you're doing is you're multiplying not just your own ability to work, but also mm -hmm. the ability typically of people around you. You communicate well, mm -hmm. suddenly other people are doing their jobs better right. as well as yourself. And that's why I think they're hugely underestimated and why they're so important and why they are the differentiator for the future. The organizations with mm -hmm. the greatest number of soft or multiplier skills will be the organizations which can adjust far to things like this in the future and indeed to anything else. So it's the differentiator yes. for the future, no question about it. Exactly. And in my opinion, without that, especially in a global marketplace, right? And even more so now, a global marketplace where people definitively cannot meet face-to-face -face and Absolutely. all daily yes. communication meetings, deals must be carried out virtually. We're not even going to get to the STEM part without the effective communication. I love that. We're, We're not, not going to get there. We're not going to get there. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It's, it's right. not going to happen. Gonna, so, right. We're not going to launch something. We're not going to shake on something, shake on a deal. We're not going to roll out some infrastructure without a mutual correct understanding. And there's less 
room for error now, especially because not only are we a global marketplace, that comes with its own difficulties and challenges of nuance and different contexts, different wording, understandings, values, but we literally don't have the option of meeting face-to-face and, and doing that. And that leads me to a, a funny question I was thinking the other day, Donald. <laughs> what what is what is the new shaking hands <laughs> moving That's forward? That's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, I don't even think the fist bump is allowed anymore. No, you're not allowed to. T- so we've seen, the, we've seen people doing this thing where you dance on your feet and you, you touch your feet with each other. Ah, I, yes. I guess that's all right, but I don't feel that has the same thing. No. But I've, I've met a couple of people recently. We've done this weird air hug where you stand two meters apart uh, and yes. you, yeah. you sort of hug the air. You feel a bit daft yeah. doing it. You see somebody else doing it. For some reason, making the shape as if you're Hate hugging yourself somebody. a bit. Yeah, I don't know. But it, 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 it's like it's yeah. like your, your it's like a hug, but it's not a hug. So I, right, that's right. one thing. But if there are other things like business cards, we you exactly. Now I don't have business cards Hard anymore. To say. But, right. but in, in but in in China, uh, other parts of Civic Rim, mm-hmm. they're very important. Yeah, yeah. But, exactly. but I can't imagine that someone from China is going to want to accept a business card nope. from somebody from the UK. So right. do we do do we do I don't know phone remote identification? We just sort of pass our phones over each other. I don't know. Right. And again, none of that's going to be implemented unless we all mutually agree on it with an effective way of communicating and and <laughs> True. quote unquote metaphorically shaking on it. So yes, absolutely. Yeah, soft skills. Now I've seen a number of people talking about greeting people and getting people on into something and starting off with people. I've read a few stories recently about people onboarding digitally, which you have to do at the moment. New people are being hired, people are being brought on board, they have a virtual handshake of some sort. How do you how do you do onboarding digitally? Because you've been doing it at Speaks, haven't you? Yes, we have. We actually onboarded someone on my team uh, about two and a half weeks ago. And, and they're still with I, you? I, Yes, yes, still with us, thankfully. And I cannot imagine how disorienting that must be to meet all your new colleagues and get all your first tasks at, at the office, do all of your onboarding orientations digitally, virtually, but seems to be going well. So obviously, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, learning <laughs> as we go. But we've, of course, okay, so you can't substitute certain things like having to drop by an office to pick up a, a computer, a mobile phone. Of course, you can also so mail, but fortunately in this case, uh, it was all very safe as that's, that's safety hygiene is our health number one priority. Absolutely. But aside from that, we've just, as I said, been turning on our cameras and she's now part of a global marketing team. Uh, she has met now, I think everybody all over the camera. And even when it comes to our team meetings, we've asked that everybody turn on their cameras and also provide a little more context for when they're starting to share some updates so that she she understands a bit more about what what updates they're providing and of course that might be a little redundant for some other people but i think in this work learn from home situation redundant is not as redundant if that makes sense i think Absolutely. that a bit of extra communication extra sharing of of updates is not a bad thing and it's not going to take away from people's time because that might have anyway happened when you're, again, uh, talking by the water cooler or someone dropping by your desk to ask a question or give an update. It's the same, in my opinion, same kind of thing. And so a bit of extra overshare professionally, not, not personally, I think right now is, not, is, is actually not taking anything away. And I think, um, if, I think if we've learned anything in the current situation is that a bit of redundancy mm-hmm. in all your systems 
is probably a good thing and particularly when it comes to social capital within organizations so that business of mm -hmm. having the extra bit of time because not all communication is about conveying information some of it is right social and some of it is what's called fatty which just means yeah. you're just talking stuff and the words don't mean anything well, i'm saying mm -hmm. something you're saying something what you're saying is i accept you as a member of my group you accept me as a member of the same group and we are bonding and that's what yes. whatever you say talking about the weather or the football or whatever that's what you're effectively saying exactly so yeah, in a nutshell, as far as onboarding, it's really been having everybody take the time to over-communicate, to turn on their cameras, facilitating and encouraging and empowering more and more calls and video calls, obviously to a healthy degree, not for its sake. Thankfully, the team has been really good about that and everyone's been doing video calls and walking her through what they're working on and over-communicating what she could help with, et cetera. And even those onboarding orientation type meetings where you talk to members of other teams, that's all been happening over video. So it's, it's worked quite well, thankfully. Also at Speaks, we use the Lessonly platform to create what, we've call, what we call our Speaks Academy. It has basically how-tos and tips and tricks right. on every topic related to what we do at Speaks. There's a lot of obviously staff onboarding content, but other learning paths on things like product news, best practices, of course, foreign languages, etc. And so we've set it up so that there's a very clear new onboarding orientation path like that. And so that's using a platform like Lessonly, I highly encourage. I would have encouraged it before this pandemic and learning from home, but certainly now because that is a way you might not have your new employees dive in headfirst right away the first week or two. You, you know that you have to allow for absorption and digestion and things might not crystallize until he or she talks to more employees or starts trying a new project, but Lessonly allows them to do so with a bit of autonomy as well and in parallel to the in-person, sorry, virtual in-person conversation. So that's something that has worked really well for us, I think. Still I with see. us, so. Right, there we go. So it's working. Yeah. I always, I always look at WordPress as an example of an organization that's managed to be yes. tremendously successful and has, I think, over a thousand employees in 72 countries. Mm -hmm. and they're all working remotely so it is utterly right. possible to have a substantial dispersed right. workforce remotely yeah. and make it work and I think perhaps in the future it will be the exception rather than the rule that people come together face to face and when we do we'll want it to be a really high value experience right so we've covered a lot of ground and it's been great fun chatting uh, even in these remote uh, socially distant times finally our, our questions that we always have at the end of Vix Exchange podcast a couple of questions for everybody what do you wish you'd known when you started in learning and development and what are you curious about right now? So what do you wish you'd known when you started off in this field? What I wish I'd known. Well, I hate to draw everything back to the coronavirus crisis, but it's it's a bit hard <laughs> not to. What surprised me rather. Okay, what surprised um, you? Go on. What surprised me was that, of course, globally learning from home skyrocketed. We had no choice, but even between February and March, speaking of about Speaks in particular, when most of our teams were experiencing varying degrees of lockdown throughout the world, as you know, Speaks has offices in China and Northern Italy, Madrid, so really hot spots and high anxiety, lots of fear, learning from home activity shot up. It increased in those months alone by about 230% in, in, uh, throughout Speaks globally. For instance, Spain's learning from home activity shot up by 1,225%. Whoa. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> Italy, almost 300%. I believe it was 287, exactly. Um, and then for China, it was a little bit north of 2,700%. So they outdid us all. So I'm, I'm using Speaks because obviously that's the, that's the data I know the best. But in general, I was surprised to see really how much initiative people took when they essentially had no choice. And not just that, I would have expected people to be anxious and scared and not really working on their own L&D, their own personal development. But I also think that people need something to do, some way to feel, to add value despite a crazy world, going back to intrinsic motivation. So that surprised me in a pleasant way, despite all the negative things surrounding it. Wish I'd known how, how the world was going to look, but maybe not because that would be terrifying. But and the be, other question... Sorry, no, let, let, me, let, me, let me come in there quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, Sarah, I think, yes, you're surprised by it, but I think what you wish we'd known is something we all wish, wish we'd known, which is just how motivated people can be to learn mm-hmm. online. Right. And that perhaps some of the barriers we were putting in, in, our, in place in our minds were just wrong. There, there, right. there was no natural barrier to doing it. When people were placed right. in a position where they had, perhaps they felt they had time, perhaps they felt a strong motivation, mm-hmm. they get on and do it. And I think that, was a, that is something I wish I'd known. So let me ask you right. the, the other question. What are you curious about? A lot of things. But I think the the main thing I'm curious about is what is the new normal? Obviously, the world has changed. The way in which we're working and learning has changed. This is going to have huge implications for L&D. And so what does that mean? Of course, we have new flexibility and autonomy, but we also lose out on a bit of that social in-person aspect. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? And how are we going to measure value and progress? And, what, how, and how long does this last? So um, essentially what the new normal looks like and how, what are success metrics and how do we measure this? So I think we all are. And I'm sorry to say we have no answers yet. It's something for us Mm -hmm. to discover together. Earlier in the podcast, Donald mentioned that moving forward, everything we do will have a digital component and how we're all already shifting to online learning and that there's no rush to As he says, go back to the classroom. In an upcoming Speaks Exchange podcast episode, Donald talks to Hannah Gore, a learning experience consultant who specializes in a number of different areas in L&D. Hannah shares some best practices on how to best develop online content. She first shares her thoughts on what she thinks people are currently doing wrong in terms of creating this digital content. Here's a quick preview of that episode. I think the addressing what people are doing wrong is probably important to address first. I'm seeing a lot of people putting PowerPoints up onto SharePoint and calling it online learning. No, that is not online learning. That is some learning that has been put online. They are two very different things. Online learning and learning design is a science. It's derived from uh, research. It's a craft. Um, putting a PowerPoint online does not make for a good learning experience for anybody. And the easiest way to tell that is trying to do it yourself because you will not move through that PowerPoint in the same way as you would if it was in an online, uh, a face-to-face experience. It just wouldn't happen. So that is the number one don't, please don't. SharePoints are great repository tools. They are not great learning platforms. Yes, um, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't beat up SharePoint. I mean, it's no, one it's of the right tools, <clears throat> but the, the, the issue isn't the tool. The issue is that you stick up, and it, it's not PowerPoints for either, but the idea is you mm. put in content in a place and saying go learn yes. is only going to work for the most highly motivated of students. 
incredibly highly motivated students that already know the content. That's who it works for, which is a very niche part of your consumer group. Um, SharePoints can be used in online learning. I used them at Solera, the last company I was at. They were used for repositories, um, either for documents that we'd embedded within courses as an alternative library. So they had them in two different places, uh, but also as well, we use it as a repository for best practice. So ours was practice-based learning. They had to develop a portfolio as they were progressing through certain courses. They could then put that portfolio in the SharePoint for others to look at and see how they had developed a sales pitch presentation for a particular company or a particular product. That's what we used it for and for nothing else. Um, and for us, that worked. And finally, sharing a hopeful snippet from a previous discussion Donald had on our podcast with Kinga Petrovai, an educational specialist working at the intersection of research and practice. She calls the current crisis an opportunity, specifically for learning and development in terms of being able to reassess to say what exactly does learning look like and how do people learn obviously right now it's an emergency situation where everyone's just doing the best that they can and that is you should have compassion and really just that realization that it's not a normal situation but i'm curious how this will change the way that we think about learning in all aspects of life in the workplace and in schools and how professionals learn we can all agree that, accelerated by a crisis, remote working and learning is no longer strictly reserved for universities and specific industries. You can, in fact, learn and maintain the skills necessary for your job, no matter what your specific situation is. Using some tried and tested speak strategies combined with the right technology, you will be able to quickly reap the benefits of working and learning from home. If you're interested in learning more tips on distance learning, please visit speaks.com for more information. Thanks for listening.